all my influencer friends, like literally all of them bought fake followers. I think it proves that the, the pressure is really high to fit in into this industry and be accepted. I completely like just deleted my audience and decided to disappear from the internet, which I think was very smart. <laughs> Welcome back to the What's Fashion Technology podcast, a podcast where we discuss any innovation revolutionizing fashion with technology. If you've listened to my episodes before, just as a side note, you'll notice I've changed the vibe of the introduction. I've wanted to change it for a while. I think this is better. I think it's more chilled. I think it's nice to get a little snippet into what the guests are going to say before you just hear me giving a formal introduction. So I think I prefer it for now, even though I'll probably change it a million more times. But for now, I think it's an improvement. Let me know if you don't think it's an improvement. But even if I do change the intro again and again, what we do talk about will stay the same. So this week I spoke to Domi or Domiverse as known on social media. Domi's a fashion entrepreneur, an art director at Vogue Ukraine, co-founder of Mess Magazine and also in media and marketing at Forbes Under 30. This conversation talks about how Domi went from a vintage blogger to influencer, the online hate that comes with growing an audience and the pressure to continually grow a larger audience. We also talk about how just the amount of social media content we consume is actually really bad for our cognition. But Domi does shine a light on how it is possible to build an authentic community on social media and how the digital fashion niche and new innovation can actually open up new opportunities in this space. So I think this is a really different and interesting episode. So I can't wait to hear what you think. So enjoy. Hi, cool. So hi, everyone. My name is Domiverse, uh, which sounds really exotic, but it's just what I do. I'm basically um, ex-editor of a couple of different magazines turn art director, turn influencer. So that's where I'm at right now. And um, I also occasionally produce for media and do marketing projects. So that's what I do. Yeah, I was really struck by what you're doing because I feel like you're doing a lot of different things and very much a mm -hmm. fashion entrepreneur. So I'm interested to hear how you went from being a fashion editor to an art director and also why you chose this area of fashion to be involved in instead of mm -hmm. being designer, doing something else like that? Well, honestly, I have a very, very long journey. I um, went between journalism and medicine, like back and forth in my, in my school, my university, and I ended up actually studying medicine, which doesn't make any sense. <laughs> You know, but um, same time, I was a blogger. I used to be a blogger. And one day my blog became really popular because I used to wear like all these different vintage things. And I feel like that was a very different look for people um, at the time. And so I really wanted to expand my professional skills and I began to write obsessively. Like, I think in the beginning, I wrote about like 2000 articles just to perfect my writing skills. And then I would wow. just sample it out and email it to different platforms, magazines, I don't know, you know, websites, blogs, I was just like, please publish me, you don't even have to pay me. <laughs> you know? And um, finally, I got a couple of jobs, uh, everyone paid me, which was nice. And um, yeah, that's how I got my first two internships. One was for a Swiss magazine that was a style magazine in print. I'm not going to name, uh, name the magazine because uh, it's, uh, I think it's, it's not really like, I don't know, we just kind of cut the contact and I, I feel like they've been doing like completely different things. So I wouldn't want to brand myself or associate myself with them. 
And then I had another internship in Los Angeles. So I kind of just decided to follow that path. And along the way, when I was working for these like different um, magazines, you know, I would start to pick up also on like smaller jobs for different platforms. And one magazine specifically wanted me to review Fashion Week shows. So I went to the Fashion Week. I met a couple of people. And that's how I ended up launching, co-founding Mess Magazine with them. And that's really how it went, you know. There was no plan, no strategy, which is set together. And they were like, oh, let's do something. I'm like, what do you mean? Let's do a magazine. So that's basically my story. I just executed someone else's idea, if that makes sense. <laughs> yeah. I love it. I love I love it um, when people kind of fall into something. And I feel like that's how it is with kind of most career paths anyway. But I feel like going from medicine to a fashion editor is yeah. definitely a big contrast. But that's a really that's a really fun story. So it's I love it. But what were you yeah. writing about when you first started doing your um edits and how has that changed now? Like what kind of topics were you first sparked by in the fashion industry? Well, I would write a lot about celebrity style and how to find your own style and kind of like the style picks. And I don't know, I was very, very fast at editing. So I remember I had like this really huge job, which was like for a couple of months. So when I was like, I don't know, 18 or 19, it was a huge job for me, you know. I was making okay money at a time for myself and I would just basically pick up a couple of keywords and rewrite the articles around them. So I was almost like the AI tool, you know, (laughs) but a human. Um, So yeah, I would cover that and um, then progressively change to writing about collections and designers and fashion weeks and you know, trends, stuff like that. So I I started from like the simple copywriting jobs, you know? Yeah. Yeah. No, I love it. I love it. I love it. And obviously you were part of the DressX Twitter space conversation um, last week or two weeks ago. And the reason that I wanted to speak to you in more depth, because obviously I feel like you have so many, number one, just a really cool career path that I think is cool to discuss and unpack more but also you mentioned a lot of interesting perspectives on influencers and social media and how you believe that um, just social media in general has become so saturated with content creators and just being a consumer of this can also be overwhelming so there's a lot of different topics within this but I wanted to just ask your perspective more on this obviously you are an influencer in the space so yeah, when did you start feeling this way? And what are some of the issues that you're noticing? So basically, I kind of really pushed myself away from becoming an influencer for a very long time, because my following has been building up over the years. And I felt like, you know, when I actually transitioned from blogging, I had a massive following back then, which I completely deleted. I completely like just deleted my audience and decided to disappear from the internet, which I think was very smart <laughs> because the person, you know, that used to blog and have this vintage blog is not the type of person I wanted to become. So I decided to quit. Um, but I feel like in the past, I don't know, like, couple of months maybe even up to a year I've been growing my audience and I've seen a lot of interesting things happening both from the creator's point of view and the audience's point of view so kind of excited to talk to you about it um I think yeah it's it's very juicy stuff there's so many issues honestly I feel like from the audience's point of view you just have so much of content and you cannot even register the content so you open every single app and there are just millions of notifications you know popping out and 
I don't know if you notice, but sometimes we just want to text someone or reply to a DM. So we open, I don't know, Instagram, for example, and then we get lost in the amount of content and notifications and everything popping out at the same time. So it's it's a real issue for our cognition, for our brains to keep up with the overload of content. Um, as from like the creator's point of view, I think uh, it has become really kind of um, disgenuine to be an influencer because I feel like there is this negative connotation to the word influencer. So I, I really try to restrain myself from even saying that word because I would automatically see people's faces and they wouldn't really look like necessarily pleased. Um, but there are so many issues like, you know, from like the pressure that you have to like keep up with the amount of engagement and the ratio that you have to keep, you know, on your profile in order to even count and the social pressure to have the amount of followers or likes or comments or whatever that is, you know, that's kind of be, um, became like the social currency that we see right now. Yeah, it's also really difficult to have your own breakthrough because there's so many different creators and the algorithm isn't great. So people go to, you know, different agencies and literally pay them thousands of thousands of dollars or euros, you know, depending where you live to um, just increase the engagement. And I feel like um, it's actually something that is a little bit sad to me, but all my influencer friends, like literally all of them bought fake followers, you know. And <laughs> it, I think it proves, uh, like, what I just said, like, what I just was explaining that the, the pressure is really high to fit in into this industry and be accepted. So I think it just negatively reflects on these people. And they have to go to these, like, lengths of, you know, different actions to keep up, basically, and be cool. Yeah, there's a few points on what you've said that I want to touch on. The first one is, obviously, mm -hmm. yeah, I think I think it is sad that the reality is that this is a lot of the currency is, especially if you are um, trying to promote a business or something like this or start your own. Like if you have a larger following, we perceive that as a greater value rather than the intrinsic value that someone's offering. And then you can mm -hmm. understand if you're already on this um, hamster wheel of trying to gain followers then if there are you people are going to these lengths in order to get this and that's a topic mm -hmm. within itself but just to go back to the cognition thing I can mm -hmm. completely relate to it I think just not even social media as well but just having text messages mm -hmm. having emails then plus having social media I remember so I don't have um be real and as much mm -hmm. as I want it, but I, I had it for a little while. And then just getting that extra notification, I was just completely overwhelmed and overstimulated mm -hmm. by it. And just every mm -hmm. single day, especially as I think even more so if you're working from home, like you just get very overstimulated. But if you're working, then you have your phone and it's something that is overwhelming. You really need to try hard to detach yourself but then when so much of our life is on social media and it is hard so that's definitely one thing in itself but this is why I wanted to ask you so you mentioned right at the start that when you had your blog you'd built a big following for that and you actually deleted it all I think a lot of people wouldn't do this and I think it's really amazing that you were able to and I love that I love that you're able to just kind of cut it off and not care but how was that? Like, did did that help with, yeah, what was that feeling? Was it kind of scary to throw that all away? And yeah. No, no, it, it was not. I remember being bullied really like hard on the internet um, because again, I was not like the typical 16 year old girl that people would expect me to be. 
I would dress up and maybe look like I'm like I was 46, you know, like literally I would just wear stuff that didn't make sense. And I loved it. It was my style. But I got bullied really hard. And I remember there was a point when you, you know, it was it was really like the dinosaur era of like the Internet and social media. So it was just the early beginning. Um, and on your blog spot, you could see five sources of your traffic. And like all of the top sources were from hate, like threads on different forums about me. And I would literally wake up. I was 16 and I was not ready for it. I was just so, I, I literally would shake. Like I'm like kind of smiling right now looking back, but that girl was like suffering. So I think for me, it was just very clear that, okay, people are clearly not respectful. Um do I want to put myself in that position, you know, or do I want to prove them that I can do something better? Can I become a writer? You know, because I feel like when I was blogging, no one back then was actually respecting bloggers. I remember I was uh, put in this competition, which was a video competition for like bloggers and um, the prize award was just like vouchers and being on some like influencer trip. And basically one of the contestants was Kiara Ferrani and she had literally the biggest audience back then. Um, and I remember like winning the first round because they picked five bloggers and then the second round was with Kiara. And I, I remember I felt kind of starstruck because I really admired the way she actually blogged. But then I thought to myself, okay, none of like their audiences actually respect them. So even when it comes to her, she would get so much hate. But I think, you know, uh, what I didn't envision was the social media growth. I just thought that blogging will stay kind of faux pas for a long time. And so I kind of quit. I shut the door and I was like, I'm done with this, you know. <laughs> so, yeah, that's what I did. I think huge respect for being able to recognize that it's not good for you and it wasn't good for you and able to shut it off because I think a lot of people would even if they were getting that hate which is so awful and I think I think it's it's crazy that there was people giving hate even in the blogging times when it was so small you would have thought that that would have been more of a community and people really reading the blog or visiting the blog to see someone that they're actually a fan of rather than to give hate but that just shows but it's crazy that that hate still hasn't slowed down and people still get it on social media today do you think there's any way to kind of ever stop this or do you think when people can hide behind a screen hide behind their keyboard that it will always be there um, I think it's really interesting and a really difficult question to answer to because um I feel like right now in the culture, we have these people that are literally untouchable. And same time, we keep hating the same people over and over. I don't know if you've seen uh, what happened with Kylie Jenner and Hailey Bieber recently. I actually haven't, no. Um, so basically, is there's this really huge thing going on in the internet. Basically, it's a hate train against Kylie Jenner and Hailey Bieber, especially Hailey Bieber. Um, since she got married to Justin Bieber, it's been just really, really awful for her because all the, you know, Selena, Jelena fans, they keep coming after her and um, they literally like screenshotted their eyebrows um, after Selena Gomez was talking about her own eyebrows and it just flooded the internet of like how awful these girls are, they're bullies and whatever. But we don't even know if that's like 100% correct because they were not technically hating her. They just shared something. 
you know, and it's it's really like fascinating because all the major celebrities unfollowed them. And Selena Gomez became like the most followed person on Instagram, like on social media right now, uh, because a lot of people unfollowed Kylie Jenner because of that. So I think, you know, I don't know, it's just really hard to answer that. But I think some people like kind of keep hating certain people for no real reason. And then it just like happens, you know, whilst I feel like. Some people just keep getting praised and there is no real reason for any of those. Um, So what Mm. I have at school when I was young, and maybe this will resonate with someone listening to this podcast, is like to never really listen to people. Because when you really take that in and you internalize all these, you know, external awards whether it's a praise or it's a condemnation, it's not really you. You should discover who you are and know your own truth. And then none of it will affect you because like 90% of times it's not accurate, you know, and it's, it's just not who you are. So why to keep that? You know, I just like get rid of that trash and then keep going basically. That's such a good message. And I think, it's clear you can you have to reach for that inner strength to shut it off and know in yourself that mm-hmm. that's not you like how you did when you deleted your blog but it what you're saying with the Kylie Jenner and Hayley Bieber example mm-hmm. it kind of reminds me when we were chatting before starting this conversation because mm-hmm. obviously um yeah so i we've kind of connected over social media but then i saw you in person in real life at the mm-hmm. London Fashion Week event and then came up to you and then we were talking about that, how um, I was saying how when you kind of see people on social media, even if you're having a nice conversation with them or whatever, if you've never met them in real life, you're kind of detached from the real person and it almost doesn't feel real. And then going to that event and then seeing people that you've seen on social media in real life, it's like, wow, they're a real person. Like It almost doesn't feel real. But then Maybe that's how it is when people are giving so much hate on the flip side, when they're giving hate to someone they've seen on social media, it's because they literally just disconnected from the person, even though I think to still do it is just extremely uncompassionate. But I think the reason that it's, there can't be so many human beings that are truly this horrible. I feel like it's more that they've lost that connection and and forgetting that it's a real person behind the screen. Mm -hmm. Um, so that's why I also want to ask you about things like digital fashion, mm-hmm. stuff like this, these whole concepts, because obviously this is what we mm-hmm. talk about on this podcast. But do you think in a way be- having these digital identities creates more of a danger of this hate coming even more? Like if we enter the metaverse and you're hidden behind your avatar, could this happen even more so? I think it really depends because um, I think it depends on your community, if that makes sense. If you do have people in your community that, you know, you kind of have like a close circle of people that you trust and you kind of know, even though you might have never like met with them in real life, but, you know, they're like nice people or they're cool. Then I think I don't I wouldn't recognize it like I wouldn't take it in my head as a threat, you know, but um, I think just going out to like broader communities out there and inviting all these like, you know, people that necessarily don't fit within your niche or within like your targeted kind of audience, if that makes sense then I would I would see it as a threat because basically people can be ruthless, especially if they can stay um, as anon, you know, in the internet. They would just comment whatever they want. I have to say, you know, it's a really like big change for me personally because when I was 16 and I had this blog, everyone was hating on me like to the extreme. However, now I don't have any hate like zero hate on my instagram for example zero and i'm very grateful for that um so i think you know building a community on social media is also a skill and i think that i need a time to kind of learn 
um, the methods or like choose the platform and, and target the audience that, that I want to reach and then build that community around it. Um, and, you know, then actually there is no hate in that community. So that's great. However, I know that if I was, you know, if I wanted to grow my account to maybe 1 million followers, you know, which is possible with different methods and ads and whatever, then I would need to go out there and get a lot of different followers that are not within the fashion niche or the digital fashion niche, you know. So in that sense, it is um, obviously a bit like not safe to just invite everyone to your life and share your private things. Um, yeah, so that those are my honest thoughts about it. That's a really good insight, I think, because obviously it depends what you're trying to get out of it. Yeah, if someone is trying to get millions and millions or hundreds of thousands of followers even, yeah, opening, you have to almost accept the fact that you're opening yourself up to more opinions. But I think what you were saying, for me, it really sounds like just how in real life and in the real world, obviously your friendship group, the people you surround yourself with, hopefully are people that support you and you feel good when you're around them or you try and make it that way to the best of your ability and obviously people's true friendship groups are usually smaller because of this and in a way like you said building a community on social media is a skill and should be adopted in the same way and with the same mindset so Mm -hmm. trying to attract people who yet yeah, are giving you positive energy and supporting you in that way. So I think that's a really different way to look at it and an interesting insight because I think a lot of people who would see influencers mm -hmm. or someone with an like with a following to think they just want anyone to follow them, but there's something to be said for if you're wanting to grow like an authentic community then to think of it in that mm -hmm. way. So that's, that's really cool. But I also wanted to ask you, yeah, so obviously you were saying that you now don't get any hate, which is amazing. But mm -hmm. how, so when did you decide to step back into social media? Like, and, or did it, or did your Instagram following just kind of naturally grow over other things? When was that transition? So you stepped away from blogging and then you decided to get back mm -hmm. into it. How was this? So basically, I'm not a blogger. I just realized that it would be great for me to strengthen my personal brand and to transition and kind of grow into the digital fashion niche. Um, so I launched a project called Domiverse, which is basically, you know, <laughs> my Instagram name right now. And that happened really organically. I basically was in one of the Forbes events and I was just out there having fun. And after that, one of the companies within the metaverse digital fashion space reached out to me. A company is like the name is Face Me. So they do develop AR VR filters and they're like a metaverse studio, 360 studio. Um, and they reached out to me saying, hey, would you like to do like a special digital fashion collection with us for Snapchat uh, in partnership with Snapchat? And I was like, okay, that sounds really exciting. And I remember they sent me a couple of different examples from different companies, um, including Vogue. And we discussed what we liked and what we didn't like and what we can do better, you know. So me as an art director, I kind of, you know, thought, okay, my targeted audience right now for this project specifically is Gen Z, and we're targeting like the Snapchat community, right? So I wanted to do something very fun and something like literally that people can snap and send it to their family and friends and, you know, school friends, whatever. And it worked very well. We've had literally like millions of views within the first two weeks which was amazing we hit like 860,000 views uh pre-launch so it was not even launched anywhere and people were snapping it um so after that I thought okay this is something I would really like to do I would like to cut the bullshit and 
just help brands to develop their own digital fashion collections in whatever way. And I thought, you know what, I, I want to do more in the metaverse space because from my perspective, I've done a lot of like sustainability speaking and I had my own podcast as well about it. And we literally discussed the issues within the fashion industry. And that's been always the production and the waste that the fashion produces. So I thought, okay, if we can work with this with those digital fashion companies and you know cut through the process and cut the production and cut the waste, that's a great solution. So I thought, okay, I, I just want to associate myself more with that rather than the physical fashion. So I, after that, I just changed my name on Instagram and I started to work with different companies on those projects. Um, and that's something I've been doing. I, I still work with like traditional, I, I mean, I don't like the word traditional, with like physical fashion brands. Um, mm -hmm. but I, I really want to, um, you know, keep growing in that space because it's truly exciting. It's new, but it's also a solution to, to a lot of the issues that we face in the industry. So to me, that's super exciting. Yeah. I got into digital fashion for the exact same reason initially. Like I just saw it as a way to make the fashion industry more sustainable. I didn't even think of it as something that could ever be mm -hmm. consumer facing when I first heard of the concept. And I was like, oh no, this will be amazing because it'll help reduce uh, waste. And that's so cool and blah, blah, blah. And then obviously I realized that there's so many different avenues it can touch upon. And then it just kept kind mm -hmm. of snowballing from there. But had you actually heard of digital fashion when Snapchat reached out to you with this project? Had mm -hmm. you seen it? Like, what was your opinion on it? Yeah. What was this like? Um, so actually, my um, ex-assistant works now for a company called Ouroboros. I'm sure you know them. Um, yes. uh, he changed his uh, nickname on Instagram uh, to Verse as well. And then I thought, wow, this is really like a new avenue of things, you know, like you can literally just promote like a different metaverse, like you're, you are literally the, the new metaverse, you know, it can uh, mean so many things. So, um, I mean, for me, it was like a process. It just didn't happen overnight when I was like, okay, I'm, I'm going to just, you know, rebrand myself and do that. It just, it was happening, I think, over the pandemic. Like that was the first kind of time when I was hearing all about digital fashion and, um, you know, there was Clubhouse and we had so many sustainability talks and digital fashion talks and then... Uh, I remember seeing my ex-assistant doing that, his boyfriend doing that. Um, I was really inspired by like some like companies like the Fabricant or Ouroboros. Uh, I also loved like a face me collaborations for their filters. And I was like, wow, this is really cool stuff. So I think it, it just happened gradually over time for me. Um, yeah. Yeah, no, I love it. I love it. I love it. I think with everyone in digital fashion, it's kind of been this gradual evolution because if you think about the pandemic and when it kind of really elevated, the changes that have happened since then and what's been possible and what's been created in that time is amazing. And I think it's just been so nice to watch it grow and it like nice to watch and feel your own interest in it growing as well. So it's, it's really cool. But I also wanted to ask you, because obviously we were talking about, um, social media being so saturated with content creators mm -hmm. do you think that choosing a niche like digital fashion or perhaps something else but obviously digital fashion offers new ways to create content in kind of new and exciting exciting ways do you think this is a strategy within itself if you were wanting to um stand out in this saturated content social media world yeah, absolutely. I think it's, uh, I would say, number one thing to niche down, you know, 
Um, mm-hmm. I remember just hearing from different artists over the time because I used to work with a lot of different creatives for my magazine. And one of the things that I really internalized and kind of learned is um, to niche down and also to simplify the content for the masses. So the more you simplify, the more like approachable that is, if that makes sense. Because a lot of people don't really want to read. A lot of people don't want to listen to, I don't know, extensive uh, emotional whatever vomits of artists the mm. like really the more you simplify the more approachable the the text the context the content is so um i think a lot of influencers specifically in fashion they will not have breakthroughs just because they didn't niche down so they are not like specifically luxury influencers I don't know I'm I'm unboxing bags like that's a niche of its own like there are people doing that they're doing very well because they knew that this is a specific audience this is a specific client customer out there who's like watching all of these videos because they actually want to buy luxury fashion same for digital fashion like you know um I know if you're just an influencer, most likely like big brands are not going to reach out to you and be like, hey, do you want to do a digital fashion collection with us? I think, you know, the more niche you kind of you choose and the, the, the more you choose your your way, your direction, like truly your creative direction the more you can like specify what your audience would be like. And that's a great thing to have. Yeah, that's such good advice. And even though everyone says it, it really is true. Because I was listening to something the other day and it was saying that Mm -hmm. it's easy to, um, like if you're just creating generic fashion content, TikToks, for example, it's Mm -hmm. it would be easy for one of them to go viral and that's obviously amazing but can get lots of views but what actually value is that bringing after it's gone value uh, after it's gone viral actually not a lot but if you're doing something super niche for example only focusing on luxury bags or only doing digital fashion then if that may not go viral but when brands are looking for specific people or influencers to promote their products or work with them they have a smaller pool of people to choose from and if you have a genuine authentic interest in something you're more likely to secure actual valuable brand deals which long term are going to help you grow a more authentic audience and have longevity to your personal brand so I think that that's really valuable insight what you were what you were saying but you also were mentioning simplifying um simplifying a niche for the masses do you think that digital fashion will actually ever be mass adopted or do you think it will remain this kind of subsection of fashion that's a really good question i think we all kind of wonder about that right now um so something that i took from the events even the event that we met at during london fashion week is people are really trying to understand where it's going i feel like it's gonna be almost 50 50 in the future but that's how i see it you know it's my personal point of view that a lot of brands will incorporate digital fashion because they will need that fast way of like you know targeting the audiences so for example launching your collection on snapchat or instagram filter whatever will be, uh, I mean, will be much more faster than actually producing a collection. So that's kind of like a cut to a lot of, you know, people out there to present your collection, which is great. And I feel like a lot of brands will use it as a sustainable solution. So I feel like people will still go to stores um, try on clothing, buy it, you know, love it, rock it, you know, do everything with it. But we will have much more of like tech advanced solutions. And um, yeah, we will see it as sustainable approach to fashion. 
I agree. I think it will, or I would love it to be like a 50-50 physical digital split. But obviously you've mm. attended a lot of fashion weeks and a lot of traditional fashion weeks that are very grounded in physical processes. Mm. How do you mm -hmm. think or hope that digital fashion can evolve the fashion weeks? I think it's really, uh, it's still like, you know, baby steps right now. So I know that Peter Dundas had a show at DressX. Um, I was unfortunately not at this show because I already left Paris uh, due to the strike. I was just really afraid that I'm going to be, you know, stuck in Paris for another five days. So I left. Uh, but I read that it was somehow digitalized, that you could actually actually see the models walking down the runway. Um, but somehow it would be snapped into digital fashion, which is like great. Um, but I, I actually don't know how that worked. I've been also at a couple of like smaller events where the digital fashion was displayed. Vogue had like this um, event with Snapchat in London, which I thought was interesting. But there, it was not really the same, I would say, level of production or like level of wow or like level of publishing and like getting, you know, published in different magazines uh, when it comes to like the traditional fashion shows. So I would like to see something that's on the same level of production and same level of like publicity um, in the future. And yeah, I'm just like really excited to see where it goes. Yeah, I think that's so true. And I also think with um, with digital fashion and fashion week, because of the unlimited nature of digital fashion, I think it will be really cool to see it evolve. I think obviously this is kind of this year, last year was kind of the first years that you could really bring digital fashion concepts into physical fashion week. So I think the fact that it's already there, I think it will keep growing. And like you said, as soon as it starts being a bit more documented and accepted, that's I think when it will really start snowballing. But hopefully it will, because do you think that, do you think that will take a long time to actually get that publicity because obviously it is so different to a conventional fashion show i think everyone knows about digital fashion at this point and i feel like a lot of people are using it even though they might not understand it or even like it um but you know instagram filters snapchat filters whatever i feel like it has a great potential to grow um however I haven't seen anything on that level yet. So I think we just need to be more patient and see where it evolves and what it grows into, you know. So I have a few closing questions for you to wrap up the conversation. The first one is how can we as individuals make mm -hmm. the fashion industry more positive? And this can be in digital fashion or also in any way. Wow, that's such a deep question. I think personally what I have observed is a lot of people talk about sustainability and sustainable solutions, digital fashion, whatever that might be, right? I think we all need to do the work on ourselves and truly accept our shadows, you know, in order to really step into the full power and full potential of who we can be. Um, and that itself will bring a lot of positive um, impact on the industry. Because what I have observed is you can talk about all these external things and avenues and companies and you, you can do so many things in this industry. But if you don't work on yourself and just gain the self-awareness and heal inside, then it, you're never going to make a change because you are not changed yourself. So I think it individually starts with everyone themselves as a person. And I think I have seen and heard so many different opinions about, you know, artists and creative people having like their difficulty with their mental health or whatsoever. Um, I feel like the industry encourages the negative, like 
aspects of self, like selfishness, being a little bit narcissistic, you know, showing up, showing off, uh, all about ego. I think if we kind of stayed away from that and focus on the, the real self of the true self, we could just uh, grow as a collective, you know, but everyone has to go through that transformation uh, by themselves. Uh, can, it cannot be forced. It cannot be, um, yeah, just implied on anyone. So I think uh, sustainability has, you know, roots in spirituality. And I think that's how it's connected. Basically, you know, being ethical, being like doing good to your employees or to your coworkers or colleagues, you know, doing good to the planet. It all has a, like a deeper root. So I feel like that's something that we can do. We don't have to do it, but it would bring a lot of positive, you know, impact on this industry if we healed. Yeah. Wow. I absolutely loved that answer. I'm really into spiritual concepts. And it's funny mm -hmm. because it seems like digital fashion would be so detached from anything kind of spiritual. But I actually, as it goes on and on, I feel like it's all connected. And I think, like mm -hmm. you said, um, like the collective attitude, we obviously want to shift it fundamentally to be more positive. And that's in any industry. And I think with fashion, because it's so huge and because it's mm -hmm. such an emotional thing as well, I feel yeah. like it does have the power to really shift the collective consciousness in a positive way. So I love that answer. That was very cool. Uh, a nice way to tie everything together. But the final question is, what do you think the future of fashion is? Another big question. <laughs> oh, I love those questions. I feel like we could just sit here and talk for hours about this. Um, what is the future of fashion? I think, you know, um, just looking at it from the experience that I have, I've been in this industry for like 12 years, which is a quite a long time because I'm, I'm still quite young. Um, I think it's leaning towards... Uh, more distractive things, sadly. Um, for example, one of your questions was, you know, you've been in, in so many different events and fashion weeks and, you know, what is the impact of social media and fashion? And I feel like um, I've just completed a marathon of five fashion weeks. And uh, my final conclusion was that it's less and less about the collections, the designer, the design, the style, the models, the art, you know, of, of that particular, you know, show or collection or whatever. It's more about social media and who sits first row and who is with who and how they showed up and who photographed who. So I think it's um it's definitely like progressing into this more selfish, more egocentric um, thing. And I think social media is kind of affecting that. Um, like it's it's it definitely has a big effect on on those people that come to the shows. Um other than that, I think the future of fashion is definitely digital. Um, but I, I feel like I'm not a prophet, so I, I wouldn't necessarily want to, you know, um, say things that will not come true. I just, I just feel like social media will take over more and more and we will have, you know, the AI doing some things in the industry, replacing a lot of the work that people do, the humans do. And we will see digital fashion popping out, people trying to work in different metaverses and buying lands and metaverse and stuff like that. But we don't really know what's coming. I think, you know, the, the other aspect which we talked about the other day was AI and what it really, you know, uh, means to kind of incorporate that into our future. So, yeah, it's it's somehow exciting, a little bit scary. Um, but 
yeah as i feel like as from the cultural point of view and the society point of view it's more destructive than it's ever been however maybe with the ai and digital fashion aspect it's going to go into another like realm of things that we don't know so let's see yeah no for sure and it's so true about ai i think we were very much having the conversations but i think right now you can already it's really taking over just and also just observing just in terms of I know that um, Microsoft Copilot. Um, mm-hmm. So Microsoft Copilot has just been released and that's a whole AI thing on creating presentations. So obviously that's going to very much uh, impact the workforce. So I think that's definitely something mm-hmm. to bear in mind. I think we all need to really start understanding AI in the least just to make sure that we're prepared for the shift that it's going to have on every industry so I think that's um that's a really good point so thank you so much for this conversation I'm so grateful to have had it and everything you've said has been amazing and it's been nice to learn a bit more about your journey but finally where can people learn more about you and um check out your work so basically if anyone wants to connect with me um i'm on instagram and twitter and other social media my uh, name there is at dummy underscore verse like metaverse but only verse so feel free to follow me or dm me and i'll be happy to talk to you amazing well thank you so so much Nice buns, soft, fluffy, and ultra low net carbs. Discover Hero Bread, the delicious ultra low net carb bread with incredible taste and texture. Hero Bread has zero grams of sugar and is under 100 calories per serving, plus high in fiber with 5 to 10 grams of protein per serving. Order from hero.co now and get 10% off your first purchase with promo code AH10. That's 10% off with code AH10. H-E-R-O.co. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.